Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Adam Blattenberg from Diesel World. Hi, this is Dan, owner of Dan's Diesel Performance. I'm Christian Roth of BD Diesel. I'm Braden Fleece, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. We're continuing a, a closer look that we've been taking on the podcast into emissions, EPA, carb, questions that our audience has about parts and racing, and what companies are doing out there to be able to offer parts for trucks from 2007 and a half to current and some of the things I have to go through. So today, Christian from BD Diesel is going to chat with us and he's going to give us some insights into what it's like to deliver a product to market and have it be 50 state compliant. And we wanted to ask him, you know, how, what, what does CARB look for? What does the EPA look for? Is it different? Is it the same? How do they go about, you know, drawing up a, a new turbo or really any component and then being able to offer it to customers in California or any of the other 49 states. So we're really excited to be able to bring that to you today. I want to remind you guys that if you have any show suggestions or cool builds that you're working on or just a topic you'd like to hear more about, make sure and drop us a message on Instagram to search at the Diesel Podcast. Or if you catch this video on YouTube, just drop a, a, a note in the comment section. Let us know. We'll do our best to get the guest or have the topic covered as well in a future episode. All right, let's get to the podcast with Christian and chatting about what it takes to make compliant parts. Christian, welcome back to the Diesel Podcast and chatting with us today about, well, I know it's been a, a major topic in diesel and really automotive, even gas, for quite a long time. And, and there's a lot of information and experience you have to chat with us about CARB and the EPA and products and the aftermarket. Yeah, you know what, uh, Patrick, it's good to be back. You know what, I, I felt I've taken a hiatus for a number of months and uh, we kind of been busy in the so-called kitchen, uh, uh, cooking up some different stuff, and, and there's a lot of new topics, uh, a lot of subjects that currently are, are real hot right now, um, and so definitely we would like to kind of shed some light on that and educate consumers and other businesses and stuff like that and what's going on with this ever-changing uh, diesel market. This landscape is, is pretty dynamic and fluid. Like, you know, this week I know one of the things that's been all over Facebook and Instagram and people are talking about is when see the the EPA determines that a, a product is that it, it violates the Clean Air Act and they take you know action against that is you know as diesel enthusiasts we stop for a second and we say okay well that's that's one product but what does it mean for everyone what how do you how do you have a compliant product what what is and isn't, and there's so much confusion there because we don't know. You know, we're not testing and engineering products, and you know that's where you and BD come in because you guys do that. And I wanted to ask you for your insights and and uh, opinions on on that specifically with products and EPA and, and carb testing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So obviously, it, it's become a much more um, topic uh, in the in the last number of years, right? And it's it's quite sensitive. Uh, for some people, but you know what? In the case of businesses, it's it's kind of the due course, right? Businesses, all BD, if I can comment, that we've kind of 
uh, changed direction uh, a oh, large number of years ago and, and kind of really focused at, at conforming uh, to compliance, uh, whether it's CARB or EPA. And, and in fact, our engineering development cycle now is, um, is full emissions compliance testing, right? So we won't take on a, a particular product or even look to design a product if, uh, if, if we don't go through compliance testing. So, and, and we got uh, multiples, uh, ha- um, multiple dozens of, of products currently at uh, emissions laboratories, uh, going through the uh, validations, the testing, whether CARB certified or, or EPA, sorry, not CARB certified, they don't like that certified word, but CARB compliant or EPA compliant, right? Um, and so I kind of really wanted to touch base on kind of eliminating some of the confusion. What is there a difference between CARB compliant and is there a difference between EPA compliant? Right. What are the two differences? Obviously, everybody knows jurisdiction-wise, CARB is, is California, um, and EPA yeah. is on a national level. Uh, it goes a little bit wider than that. Um, some of the CARB uh, emission standards have been adopted by a large number of states. Uh, I think I last, I think it's nine, but it could be up into the teens now. A lot of states are really adopting uh, CARB's um, progressive approach to to emissions, not only vehicle emissions, but other uh, industrial emissions as well, right? VOCs and stuff like that. And so they're really focusing pretty hard and, and the adoption of it for these other states makes makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, saves those states some, some costs, right? They feel that, hey, CARB is, is kind of the leader um, when it, uh, in regards to setting emission standards. And so if we can just uh, proverbial jump on coattails and follow their lead, uh, we're going to be in a better situation. So, so you know what, that's what I think a, a number of states are doing, right, um, for a cost uh, savings basis, but yeah. And I think for truck enthusiasts that are out there and have been into diesels for quite a while, the major change, this is my perception, is, you know, in years past, if you had an idea for a turbo or a fuel system product or an air intake or anything like that, a company would do its, you know, internal engineering, do its, its testing, its design. And then at a certain point, it's like, okay, we're going to make a part number for it, put it on the website, people can buy it. And I think what's changed is that's no longer the way it can be done. There has to be the, the testing that you mentioned with you know two different entities or other entities to be able to say, okay, we see this product is needed in the market. We're going to engineer it. We're going to test it. We're going to do everything we can to have it production ready. But instead of it just going on the website and to our dealers with a part number, it's now got to go to this testing facility so that we can have this compliant product to then put on the website, then offer for sale, then get out there to truck owners. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, the design scope and the engineering scope has expanded uh, quite a bit, and, and, and that's and it's definitely key, right? So what's the difference between, say, getting a CARB-compliant product and an EPA-compliant product? Are, there two, are they separate testing procedures? Are there separate standards, or, or how does that work? Yeah, so definitely. So obviously EPA is on the, on the national level, and... and uh, I think they give a lot of respect to what the what the car people have done, um, and so that's one thing is is that if you if a product um, like our Dodge Screamer actually has a carb EO number, 
uh, that particular turbo is 50 state legal. It's you can sell it anywhere, um, and for for any app for the actual listed application, right? So that's a 100% legal part. And EPA says that hey, since you actually have a carb EO, you've gone through the carb EO process. Um, due diligence has been done. Uh, even emissions testing has been done. Um, you're good to go in the EPA. And then CARB uh, further scrutinize the test data and then uh, takes a look at it and then issues a EO, executive order, a number, and then it's good to sell in California and the other states that follow California. So the testing process is, is kind of interesting, right? Uh, so depending on the model year, there's a number of different tests uh, that need to be performed. You know what, the standard test is the uh, FTP test, um, and it's, a, it's kind of a rolling road test. Uh, goes through different cycles, acceleration, decelerations, on and off the throttle. Um, and that test is pretty much the standard test that's going to be done in every single situation. Uh, even going back older model years, say a, a 2000, 2005 Ford 6-liter, you're going to do an FTP test, right? Um, the later vehicles, like the LEV3 and the LEV2, actually we'll speak about LEV3. LEV3, it's a little bit more encompassing for the diesel test. So they'll do the standard FTP, uh, then they'll do a USO6 and an SCO3. So there's additional two other tests um, that they're gonna want performed. And why are they gonna want them performed? Because on a national level, on an EPA level, on a CARB level, those tests actually have been performed by the OE. Right, and so they're going to do a compare a comparison. So it's kind of interesting there. So when you do a comparison, they're obviously looking for the greenhouse gases, hydrocarbons, NOx, um, carbon monoxide, CO two, that type of stuff, and they're going to do the comparison, right? So, uh, and CARB says that you know what, you need to do a baseline. So you need to do a baseline of a stock truck. So I'm going to take my my stock truck. I'm going to run a baseline. Those are the numbers. Perfect. You're going to install your product. You're going to do a OBD drive cycle, which on the later model vehicles can be about 200 to 300 miles. So you got to drive around for two to 300 miles uh, before the OBD uh, readiness code will actually get set. And if that passes, you can then uh, take the next step and do an FTP test. So now you're comparing your FTP to your baseline, right? With CARB, CARB says, you know what? Uh, well, the maximum deviation is 10% above the baseline. Right, 10% above the baseline, and we're talking about, in the case of our uh, PM, we're talking about micrograms. So it is a very tight window to hit, so it's extremely difficult to hit, right? Um, and so it, they monitor all the gases, uh, and if, if for some reason you go above 10%, um, then you quite likely fail, right? Versus, versus EPA is gonna say, you know what, here's the standard that was set. This is the standard that EPA set for the maximum allowable, say, particulate matter, right? And as long as you fall below that standard, uh, you're gonna get a pass. So the the CARB certification or the CARB compliant or the CARB test is, is actually a little bit tighter because they're looking for maximum deviation where the EPA is saying that, hey, you know what, we'll compare you to a standard. As long as you fall below the standard, and that standard is set by EPA to the OE, you're good to go. And that standard, the technology and the emissions equipment now is very good. And that standard is kind of interesting, is where that standard could be, um, say, 
ah, a couple micrograms, right? And if as long as I fall below that, uh, I'm, I'm good to go on an EPA side of things, right? So where a carb side of things, they're going to scrutinize a little bit more and ask a little bit more details. So now, as far as with the EPA and the, say, the national standard, is, is falling within that range just one particular, it, was that the average, say, if, if you were to take a two or 300 mile trip, your average needs to be under that standard or at it? Or, or how, do they, how do they judge on a national level any deviation at, at all, really? Yeah, so they compare it, and it's typically uh, per grams per mile, right? So they take it over a period, right? So it's not a particular snapshot. It's not a uh, – the way it actually roots out, it's actually an average over the particular test per particular mile, right? So uh, it is, it is kind of interesting, um, but you can fail very, very quickly um, depending on the particular product you're testing. I was just thinking of a, a question, and this is just things that I've read over the years in regards to testing and, and the compliance and things like that from an enthusiast perspective, is it can be thought that, well, none of these entities want any sort of increased performance, but we don't know that. You know, I'm not testing products. I'm not designing or engineering them. But when you guys go to CARB or the EPA and you're able to show hey, the truck still meets this standard and it has, you know, a, this benefit or that benefit, whatever it might be. Are they appreciative of that? Or are they, is it, is it something where it's not looked at as a negative? It's looked at like, wow, you guys are offering an aftermarket product that still meets the standards and, and gives the, you know, end user a couple more benefits. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think, you know what, in all our dealings, um, everybody's been um, pretty open actually. Uh, polite and, and they understand um, our industry exists and they understand there's a lot of industries that exist um, and again we operate on a professional level right uh, the people at CARB and EPA are professionals um, and so uh, generally they're very open um, to product as long as it meets the requirement right um, and so we've we've been working with them for oh geez a long time actually uh, 15 years uh, and every every situation they've been um, they've been they've been more than professional. Now with products, you'd mentioned a lot of them that you guys either have a you know compliance testing for and are working on. Is as far as the future and in the product line, how do you see it expanding, or how do you see how do you see the choices for truck owners out there to be able to purchase? either a product that meets both or, you know, or, or one carb compliant, one EPA compliant product. Yeah. And so, and how that is, is that you're going to see as these, um, as the require, well, the requirements are there, right? And so everybody, everybody that wants to be in this business is going to have to, to get EPA or carb, uh, compliant testing. Right. Um, and again, with the EPA, you, you have to show a reasonable basis. So you would generally have to use a, a third-party validated test cell to show that, hey, you meet the requirement, right? Um, and it's an engineering test, right? And so what you're going to find is, is the people, the businesses that still want to operate in this business, um, they're, they're going to have to step up their game to the individuals. They're going to have to have an engineer on staff. They're going to have to show compliance. They're going to have to show the data that they've tested it. 
And so as a consumer, uh, this is pretty exciting because I believe product quality is going to improve drastically, right? Um, so yeah, there may be a little bit of a thinning of the herd uh, on businesses that actually um, are involved in this business, but the product quality will actually increase just due to, just due to the talent that's now involved in product design. Well, there's been there's been so many changes for quite a long time. You know, I, I know that with an influx of of new truck owners, some of this stuff may seem new, but it's really not. I, I think I remember reading about this kind of stuff nine or 10, 11 years ago, maybe even longer. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's progressed now to where it's not just one particular part of the diesel aftermarket that is effective, which I, I think for the longest time it tended to be tuning, but it's now also with everything. And I wanted to ask you about the scope. So when we're talking about products, what does it apply to? What what needs to be tested or, or, or compliant? Is it, you know, I, I'm sure you know, turbos and injectors and things like that are, but does it also go down to, you know, accessories and, and things like that? Yeah, no. So that's a, that's a really good question. Of course, the standard stuff, the engine stuff, actually, you have to show a reasonable basis, right? And that reasonable basis is a engineering reasonable basis, right? Um, and... EPA is not going to say because you installed a heavy-duty alternator um, that uh, that your emissions output could increase. Well, you know what? Actually, you know what? If you did install a heavy-duty alternator, you could actually theoretically have a, a very small increase in emissions just due to the enhanced load that's put on the engine. But you know what? They're not they're, n- they're not scrutinized to that degree, right? Uh, they're really tackling uh, the violent offenders, the ones that are just egregious, right? Where there's just no doubt about it that people are are abusing it, right? And those are the people they're going after. So, EPA in itself says, you know what, transmission changes, uh, those are those are fine. They're not really concerned about that, right? Bigger tires, not concerned about that. Bigger tires will increase the load on the engine, which higher load increases um, increases output, right? So they're not concerned about that. So the accessory stuff, I'm fairly comfortable saying that they're not really not going to tackle the accessories at all. Again, they're really focused on on the overall delete market um, and really hitting those people hard. Now, when it comes to the the engine side and looking forward a little bit with the potential that aftermarket products have, what do you guys see or what do you guys forecast for, you know, a couple years down the road with, you know, can we still meet these requirements and maybe get a little bit more torque from something or a little bit more efficiency from something? Do you, how do you see the future of accommodating the aftermarket, I would say, want and desire that truck owners have with meeting these standards? For sure, for sure. And I think we would just take a look at industry to show how far we've come, right? Um, I'll go back to, say, 2002, right? You had a 5.9... Cummins in 2002, the automatic uh, was produced 235 horse, right? There was very little emissions control on that particular engine. Um, so, but now you, you, you know, from 2002 to 2021, uh, 20, right? You're looking at the engine horsepower has almost doubled, right? Uh, torque certainly has doubled. Um, and the vehicles now produce less emissions than they did back then. And I, but, but I mean less, it's not by, 
small digits. It's it's by close to oh almost a thousandth of percent, right? So you take a look at the technology actually that has come. One is we get more horsepower, more torque, less emissions, right? Uh, and I believe technology will continue to drive us there. Us in the aftermarket, we take a look at that as well and we say, hey, you know what, there's an opportunity for us. These emission systems are very, very good. The technology we have at our fingertips now, whether it's uh, with engineers on staff, uh, the ability to to do, um, I'll call it a rolling road uh, emissions test. So as I'm particular driving, I can get instantaneous emissions values, right? These all add up into a, to a better derived, better engineered product where we can see instantaneously what specific action is causing emissions and design it out of that, right? And that's the end goal, right? So technology has really come um, full circle around quite a bit better and then to the point where we can actually design better products. So I'm excited for the next five years to see uh, where this industry really goes. Um, and I, I think the cream of the crop will rise to the top uh, and still deliver quality products uh, and deliver um, horsepower and excitement, user experience to our customers. I think that the data acquisition tools that you guys have is probably, that's probably a whole podcast by itself that's really cool, but just the amount of data you can gather from a truck now versus in 2007 or 8 or 10 is probably light years different. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, definitely. Even even the even the data. It's not even actually what I can actually hook up to a truck, or I can actually um, external stuff. Some of the uh, sensors that are currently on the truck nowadays, right? And, and so where the factory ECM is actually doing a lot of this monitoring, right? And you think about that. You think in in fifteen years, where where now we actually have sensors monitoring PM, NOx, right? Dynamically, yeah, it's it's just it's a data junkie's um, dream, right? I think that that as you mentioned, really helps though with you know taking that idea that that you guys have for a product, being able to test it, and I'm sure you know when you when you you know take a vehicle for testing, you know exactly how it performs, what it's going to do on the test, where it falls for its average, or you know what, what standards it meets. So it takes that guesswork out of it that may, you know, on some of those early, uh, DPF trucks may, you know, they didn't have the sensor, didn't have the computers monitoring certain things where it was probably harder than first now. Oh, oh, definitely. Like, uh, for example, like 2008 Ford 6.4, right. Um, and, and no disrespect to the Ford and the engineers and stuff like that, but they just didn't really have DPF figured out. Right. Everybody knows of, of a nightmare story of maybe perhaps a 6.4 burning to the ground or 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 they just continue to replace DPFs. Um, and, and it's an, and it's really unfortunate. It's really unfortunate because, unfortunately, I don't know how it came about, but the DPF is is not deemed a emissions equipment like a catalytic converter. Catalytic converter, I think, has a, a, a warranty of, of 10 years due to be an emissions equipment. 
Not sure how the uh, the OEs got away with not listing a DPF as an emissions equipment. So, but those uh, that warranty is pretty short at one or two years, and those Ford six four users uh, de definitely had to pay for it, right? So technology's changed quite a bit since then. So a lot of the product now is quite a bit better, and so um, I think the user experience will be uh, much improved. But but still, it's that leaves a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. I just thought of a question, and this is completely out of left field, and I didn't prepare you for it. <laughs> somebody had asked me. Somebody had asked me on Instagram recently. They, it was very general, but they said, "Hey, next time you have a you know company on someone who knows, ask them how an aftermarket DPF could help this process of having a compliant a compliant truck." Or does it not really even matter because of what they can do with, you know, either electronically or with the hard parts testing, just the OEM DPF is fine. So I wanted to ask you for your opinion on that. Is that the next evolution of it? Or is it something to where that's a whole other, you know, set of guidelines that maybe, you know, CARB or the EPA isn't even focusing on or wanting to touch. You just have to make these products work within what came on that truck stock from the OEM. Yeah, typically, so this is, I don't have a tremendous experience with it, but um, from our testing, from what we've seen, is, is that generally the OE quality DPF nowadays is generally um, one of the highest quality components that you'll get, even in the aftermarket. So the original OE equipment DPF is, is very, uh, some of the highest quality you can get. And not to discredit anybody in the aftermarket, I'm sure the technology's changed quite a bit. Unfortunately, if you are uh, Ford and you go to a DPF manufacturer like Johnson Mathy or anybody like that, and you said, hey, I need a couple million of these, you're gonna get the best quality at the lowest possible price. If you're the aftermarket guy and said, hey, I wanna buy 5,000 of them at the cheapest possible price, you may not get the same quality. In fact, I could almost guarantee it. Um, so the aftermarket DPFs, typically on how they, how they sell themselves, uh, they increase the cross-sectional area to reduce the pressure drop across the DPF. It's the old larger air, air filter trick, right? It, you need more flow, I'm gonna give you a bigger air filter, it reduces the pressure drop across it, flows more air, right? There's a lot of things that actually go into designing a DPF um, in regards to temperature, right? Because you have to burn a lot of those uh, particular matter pieces, the hydrocarbons, stuff like that, you gotta burn that and convert it to soot. If you got a very large DPF, it's gonna require a lot more energy to get up to temperature. And you're gonna see that, uh, like in, in the L5P uh, market, like you're seeing those DPFs come very close to the engine now to maximize that temperature. Once you get really large, you're gonna have to disperse all that heat, that heat energy over a larger surface. I don't know how they would perform. It's, I'd be interested in somebody uh, showing test results because that's what I would ask as a, as a consumer. Um, and, and as far as I do recall, CARB has a very strict uh, DPF approval guideline. And I think the majority of the aftermarket people, the, it may have changed, um, but I, when we looked at it three years ago, there's very few that actually met CARB approval because not only have to show the performance of the DPF, and when I say performance, it means that you are scrubbing the PM, all right? Uh, you also have to show soot loading capability, and you have to do endurance long-term testing. And that's where it's been um, just prohibitively expensive, is, is that they, they make you 
test this unit for an exorbitant amount of time. It's not like two weeks test. It is, is months or years of testing to make sure that it, it continues to meet the OE requirement. So, and that's why we've seen a, not a heavy uptake on, on DPFs, aftermarket DPFs in the industry. It's getting better. I think every month it's gonna get better, but these are one of the things that were a challenge, say three years ago. It's, it's really interesting the way you explained it because I think the perception early on, so like 2007 and a half, 2008, probably for three or four years, was that it's the DPF's fault. And it, it that's the reason you know my truck's having issues or that's the reason it's in fail-safe mode or it says DPF full. And I think it's a really complex process where I think a lot of it had to do with the the programming, the the hard parts, the the what was factoring into this new this new emissions platform. And people will ask us, they'll say, "Hey, I'm in the market for maybe not a brand new truck, but I'm looking within the last ten years." And where would you say for Ford, GM, and Dodge or Ram, when did the DPFs from the the OEM become less troublesome so you know would it be uh, with the 2011 six seven power strokes like it was, it was a vastly different platform than the six four and i'm not sure with gm or ram but people do ask that you know if i'm going to pick up a truck and, and i want to have one which which year range would be kind of best for that efficient dpf that that you just mentioned yeah for the, for the ram model um i always recommend that you look for a 13 plus uh, that's really when they instituted uh, LEV-3 emissions, so 13 plus for the RAM. Um, they didn't institute LEV-3 for the GM until the L5P, uh, which is which is quite interesting. Uh, so that was a number of years later than that. Um, and then that's really when the emissions equipment really started getting good on the GMs. Um, and even on the Ford, you're looking at Ford, you're looking post-16, which is quite interesting, right? So. I think 1718 was the actual LEV3 introduction. So those are the model years that I typically look for uh, is really when they started to get um, a higher quality components, uh, right? Because the emissions requirement was was that much tighter. So yeah, it's definitely exciting to hear hear what goes in into all this. Like, you know, if I go to the BD website and I'm scrolling through products as I can see, I can see all these different things that you guys have done testing on, but to know what actually went into it and to know how it how they work with other OEM components and deliver more performance or efficiency or reliability is really exciting if we're you know talking about a newer style truck that, that we're gonna be purchasing and and we need you know to control EGTs a little bit more going over a pass or need a you know a, a little bit more torque at this particular point or a little bit cooler temperatures is it, it it's really interesting to see how the diesel industry has transformed and taken this on and invested that engineering and expertise into it to deliver products. Yeah, definitely. If you're dedicated to the industry, this is a step in the right direction, right? And, and it's so far a step in the right direction that for all our product, um, we're going to start listing the EPA and CARB test results. So you're going to be able to go to our our website and you're going to be able to download the test results uh, it may be Greek to you but but we feel that we want to be transparent and list those test results for everybody um, yeah and I, I think it's the step in the right direction 
we like to ask you, what do you guys have coming up? Because whenever you're on the podcast, it, there's always these really cool things you guys have been working on for a while that, that I see you release right after. So I wanted to ask you. Yeah, so as Canadians, like the wintertime, we don't get out much, right? And so I find it's we're, we're stuck in the kitchen cooking up. Uh, and so generally in the summertime is when we really start releasing product. Um, and so the, the newest product we're going to release, uh, I think you've actually had a competitor on, but uh, the CP4 to CP3 conversion for the 19 and 20 RAM, uh, that actually should be, should be up on the website. Um, Patrick, when you post his podcast, so that's the newest thing. So, uh, yeah, definitely. So a little bit different take uh, that we tackled with it, um, similar to to one other competitor. So uh, we're pretty excited about our kit as well. It's no tuning required, which is nice. Again, it starts ticking a lot of those boxes um, for um, EPA and CARP. And then in addition to that, right after that, uh, we actually have. Uh, front end, a big front end Duramax upgrade that we're actually going to release that we figure is very cost effective, all forged components, um, and uh, that's going to come up probably in about, we figure probably end of uh, end of March, maybe beginning of April, and we're pretty excited in that kit, in that kit, because we're gonna, really going to start pushing hard into the, uh, the Duramax components, so we don't really have a tremendous amount of Duramax offering, and so that's really going to be the first foray, foray when we kick down the door and, and, and product really starts flowing towards the, uh, the, Chevy, uh, the GM and Chevy guys. Sorry. People love the no-tuning kits. Like, and if somebody is new to diesel and buys a new truck, they don't know how lucky they are to be able to get hard parts where you don't need tuning because it wasn't like that before we changed anything. Yeah. You had to have a tuning change and it that in itself is revolutionary, especially when we're talking about an injection pump and being able to have something that is more efficient, reliable, meets the testing that needs to be met and you can just put it on your truck and you don't have to have it tuned or do anything electronically. Oh, I agree. I agree again. And it's really the accumulation of this industry kind of maturing. Understand that, you know what, I, I shouldn't have to be a tune expert to install a pump, right? It, it just drives me crazy that, uh, uh, that what happened in the past is that you'd send a pump or send a part and you got to get your tuner. Challenge is, is we all know that we're all weekend warriors. There's a lot of us that tune or or work on our trucks at, on the weekend, try to get a hold of a tuner on a weekend, impossible. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And, and I think that's really another aspect that's changed you know, over the years is the ability for the end user to install a product. And they're probably gonna do it you know, after work during the week or on the weekends. And you might not be able to get help right then or you have to wait for tuning files back and forth or just whatever it might be so it's it's really refreshing to see that and i know that kit's going to be immensely popular there's a lot of a lot of people that ask about that and have been looking forward to to a solution to uh you know just really for reliability yeah i think that's what they want yeah so. totally everybody you know what when you drop oh, 70 80k on a truck nowadays you, you expect it to be reliable right you expect that, you know, first thing in the morning when you start it up, it's going to start up, it's going to operate good. And, and when you put the 25,000 pound load on the back, that you expect it's going to tow as designed. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to uh, curious to see when when that drops and, and uh, you know, maybe do a, 
an in-depth episode about about that product and also the Duramax stuff that you mentioned. The suspension components are another huge, huge part of just, you know, owning a Duramax, you're probably going to have to do something, you know, at some point with, with the suspension. And it's, it's great to have options, you know, have options for it and, and uh, just eliminate that potential maintenance issue or whatever might pop up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The joke here is that there's three things in life you're guaranteed of as a Duramax owner. It's death taxes and replacing front-end parts. Yep. <laughs> well, each each model has their thing. You know, they're, they're all a little different with, with oh, what totally. you got to tackle. But yeah, for sure. It was fantastic to learn more about this and ask some questions that I know most people don't know. We just don't come across it. We just sit back and see things and, and are like, well, you know, what does this test mean? What does that test mean? Or, um, you know, why, why are these companies having to do this? and and all that so it was it was great to get some insights into it and learn more about what you guys have coming out for truck owners yeah definitely i could really there's actually there's a great document actually um epa produced a tampering policy uh that uh what did they publish it november 23rd uh 2020 and it really um takes you through the process uh on on how epa will um how goes about uh, I guess how, how, how it goes about actually taking a look at the, the particular product, right? And it gives an avenue for, for companies to make sure their product meets the requirement, right? So, and, and again, we all have a responsibility in this and, and we're gonna, <laughs> we, need, we need to do it. The industry's uh, definitely changing. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's part of the right thing, part of the responsible thing to do. And it's, it's also kind of removing that that um, perception in the public, I would say, where they don't know, they, they don't know what process the EPA or CARB go through to, you know, analyze a product. And they, they think maybe it's just arbitrary, but it's really not. And so I think information like that document you just mentioned, and especially for somebody who's thinking of a new product or somebody who's been in the industry for a long time and is looking to do something, they're outlining what needs to be done to be able to offer this product. So the information is there and it's, it's been really cool to see you guys tackle it head on and organize a whole product line, an entire product offering to be able to, you know, the, the people can, can purchase with confidence. And I, I don't think that can be understated because it's getting more strict. There are more, um, you know, eyes and, and focus on diesel in general. And to be able to have this information, have the testing, it's it's really it's doing a lot for truck owners, and I think the future of diesel. Uh, yeah, I would agree, definitely. Well, as always, Christian, we appreciate your time chatting with us, and look forward to sitting down with you here shortly and and uh, talking about some more products and more things you guys are working on. Oh, well, most definitely, look forward to it, Patrick. Thank you for the time. Don't forget, diesel fans, if there's any questions you have for Christian or BD Diesel about parts that uh, you're looking to add to your truck or maybe parts you have on your truck now and looking to maybe do something different with the setup or the build make sure and reach out to them you can find them on instagram facebook youtube if you search on google you can pull up their their website give them a call chat with them or send them an email they're more than happy to help you until next time keep the shiny side up